You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. Thank you for being here. It is August 29th, 2020. Everybody goes, oh, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. What a horrible year. And I go... What makes you think that 2021 is going to be any different for any of us? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. starting on a hopeful note. So this episode, we're going to touch ever so briefly on the, the Kenosha stuff, because we have to. And then uh, we're going to spend the majority of the episode wrapping up Donald Trump's record as president, giving you facts and policy prescriptions that he championed and actual things that he did. Everybody, including us, talks a lot about the bluster, so we're just trying to give you an idea of, of what he's done and where he's going, and we'll touch uh, at the end on Donald Trump's, uh, spe- you know, what he's proposing in his second term. Um, if you haven't listened to part one, go check that out. There's also one on Biden and Kamala Harris, and we will also do one. I ran out of music. This intro is so long, I ran out of music. Uh, and we, we're also going to do a part two on what Joe Biden's proposing. So, And then we'll also talk to uh, the Libertarians and, and Joe Jorgensen. So, with that being said, stay tuned. Warning, this show is for adults, produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome back to the program. Apologize for such a long intro, but I, I'm very, uh, I'm very tense this morning. There's a lot going on, and it's. Uh, I feel. I think everybody feels that. Like there's just a lot of. I'm not anxious, but I'm more angry. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. A lot of dis- disappointing news. Let's uh, start with Harry Price. Not that Harry Price is here. That's not the disappointing part. Uh, is, is it Chadwick Boseman who played Black Panther? He passed away at 43 of colon cancer, which just took uh, one of my favorite race car drivers, uh, John Andretti, too soon. And uh, seriously, it's I think it's a wake-up call for I'm, I'll be 37 next month, and colon cancer is something that is easily treatable if caught early on. John Andretti said, mm, you know, I just didn't want to go get it done last year, and that was the year that they would have caught it and I would have lived, and unfortunately he passed, and you know, he, he apparently has been dealing with this since 2016 and, and has done all these amazing movies and, and fought through cancer and then uh, passed away, and I'm bringing this up just because I know that a lot of our audience is approaching middle age, and you know, I, I, I'm long overdue to have that doctor's appointment at 37 going all right, what do I need to do? Like heart scans, blood tests, what, where do you need to put your finger, that sort of thing. And so, you know, this is – Tony Soprano was sort of that when he died too. It was kind of that wake-up call of 
anything can happen at any time. So stay woke in terms of your own health, Harry. You're you're a you're in extremely good shape. You are giving up yoga right now to do this. I mean, what were your thoughts when you saw it? Uh, yeah, it was very. It was came, it did come out of left field because most people, you know, he's very private about it. Um, the also like how quickly, uh, just you know, like the, the news spread. It was just. It, it just also just shows you like how to you really need to check into your body and watch out yourself, especially uh, males. Most people, uh, most people get you know they're they're always checking in at their, their medical condition all the time for different aspects of their life. Men just for some reason we don't do that until something bre- breaks or we feel something funny, and then sometimes you're right. It's that time that they just didn't catch it because it's just not something that you know we're used to of like checking in on our own personal bodies so yeah reinhold you're you're oh go ahead harry sorry i was just gonna say yeah so please like you know like if this is the wake-up call you needed just to go in and give yourself a checkup you know just go do that you know just just for myself i don't go to the doctor that often either it's i usually my wife usually makes one for me so well i don't want to go because i don't want to find out there's something wrong and i don't feel that that's the healthiest solution but that's sort of the male mentality of if i go they'll tell me i'm broken and i don't want to have to deal with it and reinhold you're really good about you're always going to the doctor you're i don't think you're sick or anything you're just like "Eh, i had this tested every every month you're going to a doctor to get something tested are you not Oh, you're muted. You should unmute yourself because this is a broadcast. Is that how that works? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, that's interesting. No, it's, it's uh, my wife that's going to the doctor all the time, not me. Oh, I okay. Would, uh, I, I shouldn't. I mean, I have certain things that have happened that I've had to have checked out, but um, and I've had all the you know the man club stuff. As, as a, a a friend of mine, comedian has has stated that the uh, you're not in a man club until team of doctors can show you where your prostate is um <laughs> but the uh yeah my wife had um she had ovarian cancer she was 41 and um stage four and she's been fighting that tooth and nail um for the past decade so it's been it, she was touch and go for a long time and and uh had a reoccurrence and mayo clinic and just all kinds of doctor stuff that we've had to go through because of that and oh yeah get checked out because you know i don't want to i don't want to get bad news like that and um you know i've had all my my father's going through a similar thing right now too so you know it's just it's better to find out so they can do something about it as opposed to just kind of ignore it until it's too late to do anything yep yeah and ladies too, but you guys are y'all are better about it than than we are, and we're talking. Oh, about- my wife, my wife hates going. To, she's like, I don't want to go to the hospital because they'll keep me. I don't want to go to the doctor because they'll tell me something wrong. I mean, she's been the same way. So, all right. So, ironically, we're starting at the most depressing part, then getting to another depressing topic, and the the. The most hopeful part of the show is probably going to be the Donald Trump record. So that's how uh, that's how we're rolling today. It's it's you know it is what it is. Um, I want to touch briefly on the you know we we often like to talk about trends within the movement and and sort of what the conversation is in the libertarian world because a lot of our listeners are in, engaged in that and I don't think that this is just a conversation that's happening in our world um but it is 
the role of Kyle Rittenhouse in the the uh, riots in Kenosha, Wisconsin. If you if you're living under a rock and you don't know what happened, um, there was uh, I'm blanking on Blake's first name. Is there a space in this rock if we could move in? No. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is Blake's first name? I, I, is it Eric? Uh, the the man Jacob. who was shot seven times in the back by the cop. Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake. Jacob. Thank you. Um, so Jacob Blake was there's conflicting reports. He was either breaking up a fight between two women, or he was there and had a. Um, basically he, it was an ex and he was not supposed to be there. And, uh, he was, the police were called on him. Not sure what, which is the truth. Um, I think think both are the truth, to be honest with you. So I think he was breaking up a fight, but his, one of the people in the fight was an ex that didn't want him there. So she called the police and the, the police arrived. And within the time they got the call from dispatch, the time he was shot was about three minutes. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's not a long time. Um, so they were told that he had a warrant. Um, he was there not doing anything wrong in his mind, but you know, they, uh, they tried to apprehend him. He said he didn't want nothing to do with that. So he started to walk away and they, you know, they decided that he was a threat. So, um, hold on. Is the sound good? We're supposedly having some sound problems. Go ahead. Sorry. And they also, uh, there's been conflicting reports, people trying to say that he had a gun, which he did not have. They said, trying to say he had a knife, and there's no evidence that he had one on his person. They did f- say they found one in the floorboard of the of the vehicle, um, but there's no evidence that they knew that or, or anything. So it, it is hard to tell because the video is hard to understand some of the words. So the, the reports are that people are saying that he they were saying he has, you know, drop the knife, drop the knife, but you can't tell that for sure from the audio. It's kind of hard to make out and no witnesses who are there say he had a knife on him at the time. Yeah. All of these incidents fall under the rubric of this is an incredibly large complex society. And there are a lot of things that go into an incident like this that are very difficult to ascertain in the middle of a passion i've learned my lesson after the covington kids like after the covington kids i came out and made moral pronouncements about the the kid in the maga hat and then i was just flat wrong and embarrassed and apologized for it and so in these situations i've just stopped trying to make moral pronouncements you know even if it's pretty much as clear as like the Rittenhouse thing where there's, you know, Harry off air for the patrons was like, well, we, you know, we don't know all the facts. I'm like, there was an interview with the kid before there's 900 angles of video on the Rittenhouse thing. There's a charge document now, like there's a lot of evidence, you know, but even then it's just sort of like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Blake and, and some of these other tragedies, it's just like sit back and watch and see what happens. And so, you know, the reality is there's a pattern of police shooting. It's like we always argue about step five, right? We want to we want to argue in a complex, complicated situation for our team. Like Blake is good, Blake is bad. Rittenhouse is good, Rittenhouse is bad. You know, instead of like just hanging back and kind of waiting and um, understanding that the cop 
has their own thought process. He has his thought process. Like all this stuff is just a tragedy. And, and, you know, the small business owner that has his place torched is a tragedy. Rittenhouse is a tragedy. The people that he killed are, it's a tragedy. Like, and I'm just so exhausted by the constant need to force a binary good or bad or moral judgment on all these situations and focusing and dividing each other on that moral pronouncement instead of uh, on that one incident and that moment of time on this one piece of video and is this or is this not and this and instead of like all right well what were the steps that lead to a 17 year old showing up feeling he needed to defend other people's property like what what goes into his decision making what leads somebody like the people that he killed to show up to riot or to go and just hang out and be aggressive and yell in people's faces what goes into you know a, a cop shooting a man seven times in the back in front of his three children like all this stuff is just like this has been probably the toughest week since march or april for me because like I, I hadn't really followed the Kenosha stuff and the Blake shooting because I was busy with other things. And then like the first time I paid attention was when I watched the video of Rittenhouse running around the car, shooting people and then running back around, looking what he did and running off and then watching all the different videos and all the different angles. And I have to say that my first reaction to it was just incredible sadness for not only Rittenhouse, but also his victims. Like, and I know you're not supposed to feel sorry for Rittenhouse, or you're not supposed to feel sorry for, you know, the people, the the rioters or protesters or whichever they were there. I know you're not supposed to have positive emotions or emotions of uh, those complicated feelings about it because you're supposed to pick a team and argue it. But I talked to kids like Kyle Rittenhouse every single day on We Are Libertarian social media, especially on Instagram. And it's often very difficult, and it's sometimes like talking to a brick wall. (laughs) And they're very indoctrinated with a certain strain of thinking and uh, very influenced by um, other meme pages. We We talk, it's why we talk a lot about this stuff, you know, and why we try to warn people about their personal influence over others and the responsibility that each of us, like I have worked with audiences from dozens to millions over the course of 20 years. And I recognize the responsibility that I have because of this privilege of getting to speak to you as somewhat of an authority in your life. And I take that really seriously. So like, I don't want to, um, like I wouldn't, I oppose seatbelt laws, but I wouldn't tell you to go out and drive around without your seatbelt, right? Like, I I oppose the government trying to attack smoking, but I wouldn't go out and tell you to start smoking because it's not it's not healthy for you. the The idea that we would encourage young men to go out with AR fifteens or any kind of any just to show up. Uh, to any of this shit is so dangerous to me. Like, and I just think that it's sort of a lust for violence that that we're encouraging, and it's really a, a lot of the 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 gun culture movement needs to examine like 
where are you leading these kids? Because when you're 17, you do have some responsibility for yourself. You do have a cognitive adult brain somewhat, but you're also not sophisticated and not, um, not seeing things in the way that the three of us see things because we're adult men. Um, and it's easy in this age and this day where everybody's so disconnected, especially young men. Uh, there's a great book called Why Young Men about how gangs recruit young men and the psychology that plays into it of we know you're vulnerable, we know you're lonely, we know you're desperate for community, and we're going to give you a sense of meaning, and we want you to do these escalatory behaviors to prove that you're part of the club. And, you know, it ends up putting those vulnerable, impressionable young men into jail. And you're starting to see that trend somewhat on both sides. I mean, it's not just the right. I mean, I am consider myself more of the right. I see more of it. I'm you know, former Republican, most of my, I'm in a red state, like that's who I see more, which is probably why I react to some of this stuff more. Um, but I know if there's, look at the ages of the people that died in Kenosha. They're all young. The people that, if you go, Nick Gillespie did an excellent interview that I highly recommend on Portland with a reporter who went out and talked to the people who were in Antifa and rioting in Portland. And what, she found is that most of them are street kids. They're homeless teens, you know, that are finding a sense of meaning by being part of Antifa. You know, they're not there because they're ideological. They're there because they have nobody else in their life. They, she literally said that some of them tell her that the street kids, the homeless teens, are willing to stand on the front lines between the other protesters and police because nobody cares if they die. Like, I wanted to... Like, I mean, that is uh, – Indianapolis is the 12th largest city. We have 2,000 homeless teenagers in Indianapolis because there's no wraparound services. And so when protests spring up, they moved into the riots here in Indianapolis a few months ago. And you you found time and time again in reporting and anecdotal evidence that a lot of these kids are homeless teens. They're – they're definitely ideological people, but there's a lot of people involved in all of these sides who are young and vulnerable. And I personally am not going to use my voice to push anybody to go out and riot. Because make no mistake, Kyle Rittenhouse was a rioter. He was just your type of rioter, which is why you're okay with it. Um, I think it's an absolute tragedy that this man, this this kid went out and, and and there's rumors that his mom drove him, you know, just, and he's not like a libertarian kid. He was in the front row of a, a Trump rally and back the blue all the way, you know, I mean, it's, 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 um, it just, I don't know. Am I wrong for having sympathy, I guess, for these two sides and also just disgust for the environment that leads up to it? Like the voter, picks the politician that promises all kinds of action and, and government force, then the police have to go in and, and enforce those laws, which increases the interaction they have with the public. And then more people get killed because of those violent interactions. Then there's outrage, rightful outrage over deaths 
by at the hands of the state, and then people come out and show their rage, which enrages other people who then go out, and the violence is just tit for tatting its way to someplace very dangerous. And, like, encouraging that is not something I'm going to lend my voice to because libertarianism is ultimately about nonviolence, Reinhold. Yeah, and, it, and the worst part is that on top of all of that, then you have people trying to politicize the whole thing. Right. So you have people who are trying to gain votes and to garner power by pitting these people who, who do have these conflicting thought processes and, and desires and experiences in life and uh, pitting them against each other and making them feel like they're only res- the, re- the only resort they have is violence. Right. I mean, how long, you know, we talk about the, these protests shouldn't turn into to violent riots and, and they shouldn't. But the problem is, is that they're arguing about things that they're complaining about things that have been a problem for decades. And I hear comments like, well, what they should just stop writing and we could sit down and have the conversation and try and work it out. They've been doing that for decades. They're not getting anybody to listen to them. They're not getting anybody to care about their position, at least nobody in power in order to do something about it. So they feel like they have to amp it up and try to get attention to try to to make a point. To, to I, I don't I don't I'm going to we're going to flesh out the riot stuff a little bit more and talk about it. But I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Every single person that is destroying property is ideologically no. motivated. A lot I, I of them. I agree with you completely. A lot of them are breaking into Best Buy's. Yeah, they're breaking oh, yeah. into Best Buy's to sell things on Mar- Facebook Marketplace. Like, oh yeah, most of the most of the people who are doing the looting are doing that. I think there are people who like like the people who are tagging the the uh, the federal buildings in in Portland, right? They weren't doing that to try and get money or, or opportunism. They were trying to make a point. But then the people going into the Best Buy or breaking into some other store and trying to to run out with a bunch of goods, those people are just opportunists, right? Those those are people who, you know. But they're not they're not the movement. They're not the people who are doing who are trying to get the attention is what I'm trying to say. So I hate when we try to say all of the people protesting are terrorists or all of the people who are trying to defend property are are horrible people too. You know, it's like you have good people on both sides. And and I know oh, I just oh, said something oh, that damn. Trump said. Wow. I know I did it. I know I did. And Trump but Trump gets I, I have Reinhold derangement syndrome I, now. I completely don't like the what happened there with, with what Trump said, but I also will defend that Trump wasn't trying to say that the the racists were good people. I mean, the, the left's trying to make it sound like he is. He said that, but that's not what he was trying to say. If you read what he was saying, right. he was trying to say that, you know, there are people who are just upset about this and there are people who right. are upset about it on both sides. And, and, those people should not be discounted because you've got bad actors on both sides who are doing that sort of thing. So uh, you're going to hear me defend Trump. No, and you should because that that particular statement about Charlottesville has been completely Mm -hmm. taken out of context and used against Trump in an unfair way because he was trying to be nuanced. He just is never nuanced. He has no experience with it. He's not really good at it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Now, Harry, you're a gun owner. Um, Mm -hmm. I am not. I don't. Like, I want people who don't un- – are you, Reinhold, if you want yeah, to say? I have, I have several guns. I live in the country. I have to have guns. Um, let me let me uh, just <laughs> say that if you are not familiar with gun culture, 99.999% 
of people who own guns do not act like a 17-year-old in the 17-year-old in Kenosha, Washington or, or Kenosha, Wisconsin. I guarantee that that made every gun owner think more about gun safety. You guys tell me if I'm wrong, but I want people to understand that when people try to use something like this to push gun control, they're absolutely wrong and they don't understand what I have learned over 15 years, because I, when I was hired by the Libertarian Party, I didn't tell anybody this, but I was just like, I don't get why you'd want a gun. I don't understand it. I didn't understand it at all. you know. And then over 15 years, I watched the um, unbelievable care and concern and respect and responsibility uh, that gun owners take in, in owning a firearm. And this is not representative of gun owners and anybody that tries to make it so is just being manipulative and wrong. Um, but you know, there's stories about the stories about the Kenosha thing where the, the other guys who are there who are, who are more organized, you know, boog guys, mm-hmm. um, looking for the boogaloo guys, they encountered Kyle and were trying to distance themselves from him because they felt something was off about him. Really? Right. They, mm-hmm there are a lot of them who are just like he was he was acting a little sketchy or whatever we just we should act and no one else did i mean all those people with guns there and then you know no one else seemed to have the felt the need to to engage in the actions he engaged in right it was right it wasn't like he was a lone guy by himself with a gun and then happened to get himself into a bad situation so much as it was there was a whole bunch of people there but they weren't going to use deadly force or raise their guns or do any of that stuff unless it was very clear danger. They probably you know uh, I think it's the Kenosha I think they had a name the Kenosha militia or the Kenosha guard or mm-hmm. they had mm-hmm. some name and there was some level of organization amongst the people who were there that night Correct. and they were there for in my mind, noble causes. They they want to protect small business owners. They want to protect the livelihoods of people, because the the the. And we're going to talk about law and order in just a moment. But the city, the the state, has completely failed in protecting most of the. That's where most of the blame lays. Like I I, I don't know if this has been verified, but. The mayor of Kenosha asked for 700 guard the night of the shooting, and he only allowed 250 begrudgingly. And the and the governor is basically a weak governor, and is is uh, basically these. Here's how you know politicians are all spineless weasels. Okay, the Republicans don't really have any idea of where their base is because they're so beat up by polls from 2016 and Donald Trump and not trusting polls that they really just kind of go along. They make the calculation that it's safer to go along with Donald Trump because he's president. And, you know, if the majority of their base is MAGA, then they're going to be fine. You know, but if anybody steps out and they've seen a couple social signals in Mark Sanford and Justin Amash that stepping out will get you killed in ter- politically. Democrats are the same way. They don't know where their base is at. And so these Democratic mayors and Democratic governors don't really know where their base is at on things like BLM. They see the polling where, you know, the majority of people in this country support the general notion of Black Lives Matter, that Black Lives Matter, that black people are equal and deserve to be treated with dignity and respect and that the boot should be taken off of their neck and criminal justice reform should be enacted. Most people agree with that, you know, and so it, it, and 
they don't want to alienate those independent and democratic base by coming out because these th- that general notion and BLM have been so associated with the rioters and it and it's and it's different and so they don't want to come out and and be seen as doing anything that is pro police or pro law and order when the state has taken the monopoly of security and and said we'll we'll be responsible for this you can be responsible for your own home but even if you draw a gun in self defense in your own home we're probably going to put you in jail you know and so we're going to take care of your safety we guarantee it and then these liberal cities have completely failed and broken down and it is not an irrational thought that if property is not going to be protected by the state then the citizens need to protect their own community um it it definitely is i mean do what do you think harry and that's and that's what you're seeing with like a lot of the uh, the militias going out there and protecting their own streets um that's what is going on is especially in a lot of the different neighborhoods in Oregon uh, when they, cause a lot of them like, it's like, well, they're just protesting at the courthouse downtown. No, they are going to residential neighborhoods, waking people up at all hours in the, in, on the night, making sure, you know, you can't sleep, you know, no justice, no sleep. Um, so people are, you know, they're getting upset and they're wanting to protect themselves. And we're watching also some of these bad actors in state control use the power of the state just to protect themselves. Uh, we see this with um, the Chicago mayor using the police to protect, make sure there's no protesting happening near her house. Oh, so Minneapolis granted themselves security guards with guns right. while mm-hmm. they're tr- talking about abolishing the police department. Correct. <laughs> you know, the, the hypocrisy. <laughs> That's why I always go, why, are, why, are, why is the right so terrified of the far left? Because once people see these people, they start to turn against them. I had a conversation with Miss Patton Dion, and, and it'll come out this Tuesday. And, and they're just like, why, are, why is a crowd of white people screaming in a white woman's face about racism? Why the, the moment of progress... You know, has and I'm not going to put words in their mouth, but this was my interpretation. Like, we could have had more, and we're mm-hmm. arguing about riots. Like, right. what the what the but, fuck are you guys doing? You're not helping. Yeah, it's long been known. Like, it's easy. Like a leaderless movement, it's hard to stop. Yeah, it grows really quickly, and it's an ama- and it's sometimes it's amazing on what it can do. The other problem is you muddy the message. The message gets muddy. So one problem, like, so like BML movement, BML organization, you know, they was like, well, it kept trying to separate themselves, which caused confusion, right? And then anyone, they, anyone realized they could just call themselves BLM because the BML organization separates them from the BML movement. So anyone could call them that. So all their messages got muddied. So all, so any person in the MAGA crowd could easily find a news article or a, uh, audio clip of someone of someone is like i'm with blm and we support these looting they need to take this is reparations and we're like and use this as a cudgel like oh yeah this is why they're all bad and just 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 get rid of all all the every momentum that blm had you know from the george floyd uh, protest it's and it's disgusting you they sh- you know, I don't want to tell people what they should do is, but they should have went like distanced themselves. Like, nope, it's organization or it's, uh, I hate trying to tell them to do a top down thing, but Hey, if someone's using your name and trying to take out your movement, sometimes you need to step up and separate themselves with that. Well, that's, that's why I think you're starting like Joe Biden put out a video denouncing riots. Like you're going to start seeing, and, and it really, a lot of this falls squarely on these politicians that, 
Like here in Indianapolis, the, the, the police department is, they feel that they've been completely abandoned by the mayor. Um, yes. And so we had an incident where uh, Deshaun Reed was shot and killed by police. He had a gun and, uh, you know, BLM has really gone to bat for him, but not many, not many other people are willing to because of the, the way that the shooting happened, you know, and, and, uh, but the mayor wants to, to please that constituency because he's a Democrat, but at the same time, the, the police have, have, are, are, are almost ready to stage walkouts. So there's this very complicated issue of, you know, it, it, it all kind of falls, um, under how we interact with the law and where we're at in terms of the size of the state. And so this is the conversation that I, instead of arguing over, um, was this self-defense or not? Was this a good shooting or not? Was this, were the cops justified or not? Like that to me is just sort of not helpful uses of energy. Right. Like we're arguing again over step five when we should start at step one and start thinking about our relationship to the state and our relationship to how the government functions. And even in a completely anarcho capitalist, anarcho communist state, there is still law enforcement. There's still justice like it's not Somalia. And I think part of the, the libertarian conservative reaction to canonizing Kyle Rittenhouse signals to people that don't understand anything about guns that you really do want Somalia. And I think it, it's very kind of, it's a harmful argument. And we, we often say, Oh, the gun debate is settled, but like everybody kind of thought after George Floyd, police reform was settled. Like it's going to happen. But then they lost the moment with the riots. They lost the argument. And now that is not really on the table, which is, incredibly frustrating to black people and is going to start bubbling up you you're not seeing the frustration with the white liberal the white woke person yet but you will and that's why i just think it's like by turning off the people that are natural allies you know which is kind of like uh clinton is arguing here i'm sick of seeing pics of spike Cohn posing in pics with blm when their stated platform sounds like the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto and their methods of protest are antithetical to the LP non-initiation of force principle. Seeing a few porcupine shirts among the chaos made me hang my head in shame. Probably hired crisis actors or hired, hired muscle meant to defame us, at least I hope. I couldn't agree or disagree with you more. Um, uh, Black Lives Matter is a grassroots, bottom-up organization like the Tea Party. Matt Kibbe was greatly associated with the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean that Matt Kibbe was in charge and Freedom Works were in charge of the Tea Party at that time. There were hundreds of Tea Party groups around the country with their own different motivations. Just like there are a ton of different libertarians with their own different motivations. Mm-hmm. And w- there are a lot of libertarians like Spike Cohn who look at Black Lives Matter and go... I don't agree with you on these four pieces, but I agree with you on these three pieces. And this is how we can advance liberty by being allies with these people. I always just kind of shake my head and, and like, there's going to be a lot of libertarians who are going to vote for Donald Trump. And they're going to loudly say they're voting for Donald Trump. And they're not going to suffer any penalty whatsoever. It's not disqualifying in any way. But if they were to come out and say they're voting for Joe Biden, 
they'd never live it down. We, we still, Bill Weld and Hillary Clinton never lived down. But there are plenty of libertarians who said that, you know, like Walter Block saying, you should vote in, in your interest and vote for Donald Trump. Well, you're willing to ally with the right, and there's a lot of people who are willing to get cozy to very grotesque people on the right because you've made the calculation that that helps advance liberty. But you're uncomfortable when somebody does it with the left, and I don't understand that. I'm willing to work with anybody that's willing to to help achieve liberty. Like The Republicans and Democrat brands and messages are largely rejected. You know, there were like 60 million people who voted for Clinton, 60 million people that voted for Trump. There's and then there's like 110 million people that just didn't vote because they don't feel there's any representation. There's a huge gap in the middle of people that don't feel like they're represented. And the wasted vote is completely obliterated by exit polling every single election year. And when you go and break down like Lucy Brenton in Indianapolis and in Indiana for Senate or the Georgia Senate race in 2018, you see in exit polling an enormous demographic difference, 1% in above 40, 10% below 40 voting for libertarians. And then you also have an enormous demog- – like we don't poll from Republicans and Democrats. Like in Georgia, the libertarian candidate polled like 1% from – Oh, it was the governor's rates. Excuse me. One percent from Kemp, two percent from um, what's the lady that thinks she won? Uh, uh, I forget her name. And then the like 96 percent of the rest of the vote for the libertarian candidate were from independents or non-voters or reactivated voters. And so they finally see somebody that represents their viewpoint. So. Copying the message of a Republican or Democrat wholesale is a losing strategy and turns off our natural allies in the middle, mm-hmm. in the center that are willing and the non-crazy fringe, like the non-crazy middle, like pandering to the far right and the far left is just a losing strategy. Harry, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah. I was just going to echo what you've posted online, which is, yeah, it's the, these are two dying parties. Why will we copy their message? Why would we follow their exact same dying path? You know, that's goofy. You want to grow, you want to become, you know, the center stage mainstream. You have to do something different. Yeah, you know, absolutely. A, I like road remoters. So yeah. I, I can't tell who this is. So it's just a Facebook user who's signaling they want Somalia. It's not that you're signaling that you want Somalia because you want Somalia. It's that you don't understand how you look and you don't give a shit because you're not willing to talk to people that don't think and look like you. So I apologize if that's my best friend in the entire world, but that's how it comes across to people that aren't exactly like you. (laughs) For God's sake, stop reading the daily caller and go meet some people that aren't like you. Like that is, it's just, when you try to explain how you come across to other people, there's a, a large swath of people who don't take that well and just go, I don't care what you want. I'm going to do what I want. And it's, it's like, okay, you're just, it's so frustrating. Um, so well, you may go ahead and to go to the point like you also posted is talking about uh, some people are like reject your principles at your core. And it's just like, yeah, but a lot of people in the middle will reject certain principles, but they will allow you to have those. You know, I'm you know, it is it's uh, 
when we have our walnut meetings or liberty chill on fridays we got you know hard socialists that will come to our meeting you know card carrying socialists and they understand and you know but he's such a centrist the 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 idea that to him socialism has to be voluntary now you know it's great to watch that change and just having conversations of having talking to someone who looked completely different than i do have completely different views and we've met in the middle and and it's great it's it's an amazing time yeah, this person says, what if the non-crazy middle fundamentally rejects your core principles? Then they do. Like, they're, they're, they, like you're not going to please everyone. This part of society, it doesn't matter if it's a free society, the society we live in, or a, a socialist system. Like, you're not going to please everybody. Just be yourself. Be honest. Say exactly what you think. And people will then either be with you or they won't be with you, right? Like, that's, that's sort of where the radicals have been right in, in opposition to the Gary Johnson, Bob Barr campaigns. Like, just say what you really think instead of trying to lie to people. I, I really get that, like, this, we need to appeal to the far right or we need to appeal to the far left or we need to appeal. Like, you're, you're basically arguing that we need to lie to people. That's some, When I hear people say Joe's messaging is this or that, I go... So you're asking her to lie to the voter to make you feel better. That's not if what we, people want. That's not what Ron Paul did. If we believe in our ideas and our, our ideas are the more superior idea and view and philosophy, then why would we want to couch that in some way to try to trick people into liking or, or agreeing with us? It should win just in the, in the marketplace of ideas. We should be able to make the point overwhelmingly show the evidence right mm-hmm. and and not have to try to gain the system in order to get people to vote for us who don't necessarily agree with us on all things or or whatever i mean just just put it out there and if people will listen to it and agree with it or they won't agree with it or they'll argue with you and you just you discuss it and you come up with you know some sort of proof of your of your thought processes by going like i've always said if you do if we do out and prove that this works which we can do we prove that libertarianism can work because we just ignore what the government's doing and do our own thing anyway and we'll make it work and people can point to that and say see it's working then you can convince people but you know that's i don't i don't get the we, we can't talk that we should go and talk to it like joe is on ben shapiro's program right and had a conversation there. Well, yeah, the left libertarians pretty... lost their fucking mind that yeah. Joe Jorgensen I went know. on the largest radio show in America, second, mm-hmm. like after, after Rush Limbaugh. And I'm just like, what are we doing? Like, I'm not here to grow your club. I'm not doing this to, to grow your club. I'm doing this so more people hear the libertarian ideology because it's incredibly freeing. Like, I'm not here to grow one faction of a movement i'm here to grow the entire movement like and i i just it gets so frustrating um you, you get the message out and you know go go where the people will listen and, and I, the spike is reaching out to people who i feel that so i feel a lot of times people on the left are more aligned with libertarians except for they for two things one is they don't understand the um hold on a second how dare you? I know it's not. I can't do anything about that one. But they uh, they don't understand that um, government is force. So they, they try to have a, a a government solution for something. They're not clicking in their head that they're just asking for people to point a gun at their neighbor and make this happen. They just think that they're voting for 
a, a, a system where we agree that this is what we should do. And therefore it's written in stone that this is what we should do. Therefore everybody will just do it. They're, they're not making that leap to this is force. And then there are people who are saying that they're Marxists, but they're not really Marxists. They're just anti-crony capitalism. Well, guess what? I'm anti-crony capitalism. Most libertarians are anti-crony capitalism. So that's not a free market, right? So we want free market capitalism, which does not exist at the moment. So we're fighting against the current economic system that we have. Well, so are they. And I think that they just, if they if they knew that there was an actual difference and they thought through it and we, we were able to explain that to them, then they would become libertarians. About and, that, that. and that's happened They're with... not lost causes. Yeah, and that's exactly right. They're... That's happened on the right with foreign policy. You know, there were there's a lot of discomfort for libertarians over the last 20 years trying to appeal to conservatives to be non-interventionists, despite immense pressure from the party structure not to agree with it. But Ron Paul, Rand Paul, libertarians in general are starting to succeed on that. And, you know, Donald Trump, that's one of the the good things that we're going to talk about, and it, it's complicated. It's not good or bad. Um, but, you know, that that's where I don't get it. It's like if you go and talk – if Spike goes and talks to Black Lives Matter and you share the goal of everybody having more prosperity and economic opportunity, you just have different solutions. Why not persuade them that you're – we are right. Like there is – like – Using force of any kind in any way backfires. It creates resentment and creates the opposite of what you're trying to achieve. And if you make that argument enough to both of these sides, eventually they're going to see your point because history is moving that way. Mm -hmm. I've never had more people on the left and the right come to me than I have this year going, I see what you mean about the utilitarian breakdown. Like, it doesn't work. Government doesn't work. Force doesn't work. Now what's the solution? Right. I, I'm, I'm willing to lay down my uh, sense of the Democrats can fix this or the Republicans can fix this. What do we do now? You know, and so I, I think appealing to messaging that creates defectors from the other two sides and re- reinforces the worst messaging of the two sides is uh, not going to work. So I, I want to move on to just the idea of law and order um, because I think this is an important part of it. Obviously, it is illegal, immoral, and wrong without any qualification for someone to destroy someone else's property. There's no but after this. I want to be very clear about that just because I, I have a different opinion on certain things than some other people it doesn't mean that I'm not for property rights and li- libertarians that have some nuance are getting really fucking sick and tired of you trying to project your bias onto uh, onto those of us who are not in your club. Um, there's, it's an unequivocal evil to go into someone's property and just burn it down because it, it just is like there's there's no way around it. And so that's lawlessness. And that is what the right is saying we're against. We want law and order. We want the law upheld. But then when somebody doesn't follow the law but is on their side, they're not condemning that either. But also as libertarians, there's a lot of things, including about around guns, that we find to be immoral laws. 
So there's a lot of things that I'm, I'm not, I'm going to play this clip because of A, to give you information, but B, to kind of, as a thinking exercise, uh, we often go, this is how the world should work. I want it to work this way, instead of realizing that this is how the world actually works, and we have to somewhat reconcile our viewpoint of as few or no laws versus where we're at now. So this is from the Advisory Opinions podcast, which is David French and Sarah Isger of The Dispatch, which is really the only conservative site that I even look at anymore. (laughs) Um, So uh, David French is a lawyer. Sarah Isger is a lawyer. And they're kind of breaking down Rittenhouse's legal issues and and some of the, the, the factors that play in here. And then we'll talk about it on the other side. One of them is that you may not be, as a matter of law, entitled to use force to defend the property that you're defending. That'll be a problem. Um, Yeah. So let me read to you the relevant Wisconsin statute. A person is privileged to defend a third person's property from real or apparent unlawful interference by by another under the same conditions and by the same means as those under by which the person is privileged to defend his or her own property from real, real or un, apparent unlawful interference, provided, always read after provided, that the person reasonably believes the facts are such as would give the third person to, to privilege to defend his or her own, own property, that his or her intervention is necessary for the protection of the third person's property and the third person whose property the person is protecting is a member of his or her immediate family or household or a person whose property the person has a legal duty to protect or is a merchant and the actor is the merchant's employee or agent. And this is an odd additional sentence. An official or adult employee or agent of a library is privileged to defend the property of the library in the manner sub- specified in this subsection. I guess there must okay, have been well, that anti- has a story behind it, but we'll <laughs> skip over that. So in other words, it has to be your family's property, your household's property, um, a property you have a legal duty to protect, or you have like to be an Like, for instance, employee. if you're a security guard or, uh, yeah, you've entered into some contractual relationship there. Yep. Or you have to be a merchant, uh, an, uh, an employer agent of the merchant. So if I'm showing up with my AR to the local uh, 7-Eleven to defend it, I don't have the right to do that. Yeah, there could be some questions. Uh, For instance, if you show up to a business, the business owner is there also trying to defend his property. Can he create an agent relationship in the moment with you? Maybe. Uh, Maybe. But if the business owner isn't there and you just are like, uh, you know, pew, pew, I'm here to defend random property that I don't know about. Uh, that is certainly not covered by what you're talking about. And it looked like that was what was going on in Kenosha last night, not referring even specifically to the video that we're going to talk about, but just in general, that some people thought that they were deputized to just go protect property, generally speaking, in downtown Kenosha. I also want to say, um, break in here, that the Kenosha Guard asked the Sheriff's Department to deputize them so they could act as agents of the state to help them protect property, and the Sheriff of the county said absolutely not. So they they were denied that request. 
And and also here's another relevant Wisconsin statute. It is not reasonable to intentionally use force intended or likely to cause death or great bodily harm for the sole purpose of defense of one's property. So, um, it, so that Which is was, true that, in every th- state I'm aware of. You cannot use deadly force. It basically, it's like rock paper scissors, and life always trumps property. Right, right. Now there are some states where you don't have you have the stand the stand your ground you have stand your ground status at the instant you set foot on someone sets foot on your property you have zero duty to retreat. Um, that's you know Missouri for example where we had the McCloskey situation. But so here you have. You do not, it is not reasonable to use deadly force to defend property. And if you're a third party and you're not the employer agent of the merchant, you don't have the right to defend their property. And then let's throw the other complicator here on there, which is that it's actually also a crime to point your weapon at somebody. Okay. So, David, we have all of those things that apply before that video starts. Potentially. So you're walking around downtown Kenosha with a gun, quote unquote, defending property. You can be charged with a number of crimes based on what you're reading, David. You're criming. If if you're sitting there outside of a 7-Eleven and you point an AR at somebody to defend the 7-Eleven that is not yours and, and you've not been deputized to defend it, you have committed a crime. Flat out, you've committed a crime. Um, now at the same time, uh, so I I also have a right to defend myself. (laughs) Right. And that's where we get into the video that we watched and the controversy around it. Yes. So in the video we watched, a young man is running, he's got a a rifle and he's running with his rifle through protesters. He apparently trips and falls and people yell, get him. At which point a uh, two or three guys kind of cluster around him. The guy who falls opens fire. Everyone scatters. One person falls. Another person staggers away injured. And then you hear other gunshots. So now here, here's where this gets so tangled. So if he's pointed his weapon at people unlawfully, the people he points at suddenly have a right of self-defense themselves. Okay. This is how this gets so tangled. Um, remember the Al- Ahmad Arbery shooting? Yep. Um, a lot of people said, well, Arbery was attacking the person who, who had blocked his way. Well, as soon as, you know, when they blocked his way, when those gentlemen blocked his way, and I use that term loosely, uh, when those guys blocked his way and pointed a weapon at him, Arbery had a right to defend himself. So this gets really, really complicated. And it's like, reasons one through 1000 why you don't strap on a weapon and go head towards the riot you just don't do that um but you know it's funny i i'm seeing a little bit on sort of this right-wing twitter world sarah i'm seeing people you know how the right piles on the left that when the left won't condemn antifa why aren't you condemning antifa i'm not seeing much condemnation of the vigilantes and two people are dead who did not need to be. Exactly. Um, now, here's what I'd say about that. Uh, how do you restore law and order by breaking the law? <laughs> and then how, how do you deal with laws that you personally find immoral or disagreeable? You know, the um, let me go here. Uh, Clinton 
rightly, and I agree with, says, boo, the castle doctrine or stand your ground is okay by me. Well, there's a process in our system, in the day and age in which we live, of changing laws or dealing with law enforcement problems, and it's a legislature. It's a legislative process. It's what we said basically about the Confederate statues. The purpose of a constitutional republic is that you don't go and tear down a Confederate statue because you want that statue down. You you have to go through a process where everybody gets a say or else it builds resentment and backlash, right? And so you're going to see resentment and backlash when people take the law into their own hands, regardless of the side, instead of dealing with it in... And to me, that's a... That's, a road towards barbarism. You know, there's the road to serfdom, but there's also a road to barbarism. And it seems like both sides are trying to take us there by completely throwing out the process that created the country in which we live that offered up all this economic opportunity, that offered up a system that allowed America to, to go from uh, a very flawed country in its founding to uh, a greater chance of opportunity because that democratic republic, that re- constitutional republic, allows for everybody to have a voice in the system. Okay, so that's my argument for constitutionalism. Now, let's say it's an anarcho-capitalist society. There's still, you will still have courts and private police forces. You will voluntarily opt into those. And so, do you want to live in a, a locality where everyone lives voluntarily and someone just doesn't follow the laws. Now that's going to happen, which is why there will be adjudication in an anarcho-capitalist society. But laws and rules that are agreed upon by the group upon voluntary consent is the best way to organize things, right? Because if you're forcing law on me, then I'm going to resent you for it. If you're making me wear a mask, I'm mad about it. If I volunteer to wear a mask because you've persuaded me to wear a mask. I'm I'm less likely to reject that notion because I've been a part of the decision-making process. And so to advocate that people should just do whatever they want in defense of property rights is a very sloppy way to run a society, be it the one we're in now or the one we're trying to work towards, because it encourages people to just not follow the rules that are agreed upon in, in different societies, right? So there, the, um, the, the other part of this, uh, and I lost my train of thought, so Harry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, it also helps stop vigilantism because the idea that, you know, without some of those rules that have been officially deputized is because the – the communities around that area has decided that we're going to have a police force and this police force is going to be the, uh, the enforcer of the laws of the state. If without certain rules like that to stopping people from doing that, then you've got people putting on bat capes and walking around with their guns and they're playing and they're, you know, watching way too many Saturday morning cartoon shows or diehard movies and wanting to go out there and protect the public, which I get it. I freaking get it. You know, uh, when you're watching your, uh, just when you're watching all this happening, you just kind of, you know, you want to do something, but 
you know, there there are rules in place, and uh, unless someone's life is you know being you know taken, you know, sometimes you just got to stand back. It's what do you think, Randall? Is it am I wrong? Well, I mean, so the question is, is what's the answer there? And and I don't know, you know, what you do at that point, right? So that's that's part of the problem is. You know, we're talking about a society. Let's say we're in a we're in an anarcho, anarcho-capitalist society, and there's th- this idea of people. You're going to have somebody who tries to take over the the it, who wants more, who wants somebody else's stuff. That's why we have theft now. I mean, we mm-hmm. there's somebody's going to try to do that, and there's got to be a mechanism in place to stop that from happening. And when you agree upon that mechanism you're agreeing upon basically a, a system of government, right? And we're not going right. to call it government. It's going to be an, a voluntary anarcho-capitalist system, but you still have to have rules in place in order for there to be a functional society. So that people can operate with each other in, in some sort of method that they're not having to strap and be carrying uh, every second of every day in order to defend themselves from all the people who want to try and stop them. And, and they're mm-hmm. going to get overwhelmed by a mob. And then, then what do you do then? So it's, it's better to come together and communicate and, and come up with solutions on how we think things should go um, and try to follow that as opposed to uh, trying to force people to do Cause that's the problem with human nature. And that's, so there's a lot of these different philosophies that just ignore human nature. So, uh, socialism is one of them, right? Communism. But sometimes I wonder about libertarianism too, because they try to pretend like if we don't, if we just let everybody be, they're all going to make the right decision. And we see that that's not the case. We know that that's not the case. Certain people are going to try to gain the system or take advantage of other people, right? If you have private police force and and you have them um, policing things like that, there's nothing to stop them from, you know, being uh, bought out by rich business interests, right? That, that'll happen. Uh, I mean, you can go back and look at the, um, um, the private police force in the 1800s. And I can't remember for some reason, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, the Pinkertons, right? Mm-hmm. So the Pinkertons were um, a private police force, but they ended up working for businesses and not caring about individual rights and going out and doing some things that were really bad. Um, so it's, it, it becomes, it's hard to say that it's got to be all this way or all that way. People have to come together and come to an agreement on some of this stuff, right? And we have to we have to accept that. Yeah. Um, and the other part, and I'm, I'm genuinely asking a question here, and I wonder if somebody could write, write in on this because, uh, so we can talk about it next week. You know, in terms of property rights, is it a violation of property rights if you're defending property that the property owner doesn't want you to defend? You know, uh, so if let's say, you know, I'm guarding a CVS and the CVS does not want me on their property, is that a violation? But the mentality is I'm there to protect their property. So I have the moral good, but you haven't cooperated with that property owner. So I wonder if somebody could write in and and give me a thought on that. And I would just say, and she said in there in law, life trumps property. Um, how many lives is a CVS worth? So, I mean, I just look at this and I, Ryan Lindsay is very much more on the left, doesn't really cotton to property rights much. And, and that's where he kind of goes, how many people is worth, how many lives is CVS worth? And I thought that was an interesting question to ask yourself just to kind of go through 
um, some of the comments here. Uh, Wes says, if you have rules, you have to have enforcement and consequences or they are invalid. You're absolutely right. And in a libertarian society, uh, there is enforcement of the rules. So that, that does exist. It's just that you don't have a monopoly on violence. You don't have a monopoly on the police force. So if the police force is doing things that you find to be egregious, you can hire another police force. And the perpetrators of the violation of the rights that have been pre-established they will suffer consequences, and there's no qualified immunity in a libertarian society because you're right. Consequences and incentives are at the root of everything. Aggression is a violation of natural law, writes Christopher Bowen Brown. Excuse me. Neoconservatives and neoliberals have advocated for it so long that it has become accepted practice in the minds of people. Just because it is accepted does not make it right. And you're right. When adults look to violence... As the solution for every problem, how can we be shocked that a 17-year-old sees violence as the appropriate tool to fight other people who see violence as an effective tool? Um, So, uh, let's see. Clinton says, agree, libertarianism's notion is that people are basically good and trustworthy, clashes with my worldview as a Christian minister, but more important to this discussion, it just isn't honest. Um, I don't agree with that. Uh, I don't think that libertarianism makes the assumption that every person is good. Uh, this, there's a foundational book that everybody ought to read. It's called Conflict of Visions by Thomas Sowell, where he talks about constrained and unconstrained. There is a certain view in the world that government can perfect man, and that if we have just the right technical policies, you can make people, you can nudge them into being uh, well-behaving people, and I don't believe that. I'm a libertarian because I'm a Christian, too, who believes that we're all fallen. Every person is imperfect. Every person is complicated and isn't good or bad. They're just difficult. I just watched The Green Book, amazing movie, loved it, and one of the characters is found out to be gay, and another character looks at him and goes, I was a bouncer in New York City in uh, nightclubs. I know the world's a complicated place and it doesn't make that one of either, you know, that's sort of the reaction that we all ought to have to everyone. And so what libertarianism does is it says everybody is imperfect. So let's create a solution that works with that imperfectness where everybody gets a voice. Everybody gets to agree and we stop forcing people into decisions that they had no uh, a say in. Because we want to lessen resentment and the less violent solutions, like you see in this whole chain of events, it's violence begets violence begets violence begets violence. And then so we're arguing step five in the begetting of violence. And so um, if we go back and work our way back, there's there's going to be murder and there's going to be chaos and there's going to be rioting in libertarian societies. There will just be less of it because there's more prosperity and more economic opportunity and people have more of a say in the rules. It doesn't it's not a utopian society that perfects man and erases their warts. It designs systems that better accommodate that fallen nature. Um, that's, that's the thing that I want to touch on too when you're talking about better prosperity for for everybody if you look at what's going on now and then you graph out what's been happening with wealth in this country where the top five percent are getting wealthier and wealthier and everybody else is kind of middling around and and having to fight harder to even even the middle class is fighting harder to kind of keep things going and and make do you start that's where all these frustrations and things start bubbling up 
That's the problem with the crony capitalist system we have is that we're not allowing that real free market to, to uh, cover those, the separations and wealth that it doesn't, it doesn't work there. Those people are being protected by the political elites uh, to continue making more money, get those money in this, get that money in the stock market, just pop the stock market up. That's not the economy. The stock market is not the economy. And when you start seeing that, um, that huge disparity start to pop up, that's when you start seeing the frustrations really start building. Okay, let's uh, thank our patrons. Clinton writes, longtime fan, first-time live listener. Really enjoy the way you address things with reason and discussion, even when you think I'm wrong. It's fair, honest, and interesting. I'll try to recruit more listeners. And we thank you so much. And this is only made possible by our patrons. We'd love for you to join our Patreon and keep supporting us. Uh, We are trying to lead the way in doing something different. Part of my um, career as a broadcaster is really uh, trying to um, help provide examples of what a libertarian society ought to look like, how we ought to reconcile each other's worldviews and come together and show that it is possible to have mutual respect for each other. And uh, if you support that, if you support independent thinking and, and different um, ways of doing things, then we'd love for you to join our Patreon. Uh, it's I know it's difficult, and listen, I get letters every single day and notes from people who say that they appreciate the way that we try to approach things. I feel the pressure all the time like all the rest of you. Float this way, float that way, choose a team. It is incredibly difficult to be independent-minded and principled in a time when everybody's losing their mind. Mm -hmm. If everybody's losing your mind, it doesn't mean that you have to go along with them. And uh, just want you to know that there are independent thinkers out there, and we are supported by them. We are supported by people like you, and uh, we are especially supported by our $100 a month patrons, of which Reinhold is. Thank you, Reinhold. Matthew Durbin, Christy Avery, who had a birthday this week. Christy Avery, the best person on the planet. I can't get into why, but she is uh, so loved by everybody in We Are Libertarians and also me. Jeff Bennett, Jason Doolittle, Ed Brehob and Brad Tracy and Anthony Meyer. Thank you all so much for helping us continue to do what we do. Um, Let's go on to Donald Trump's record. Uh, I mean, well, we're at an hour. Should we just cut? Say what happened in 20 minutes. Cut bait and uh, (laughs) should we cut bait and, and, and start a second episode or do this next week or keep going? What do you guys think? Well, I think what your idea of what we wanted to do next week makes is interesting too. I'd like to kind of touch on that. All right, let's keep going then. So yeah, let's go ahead and do it. I think we can finish up Donald Trump. I mean, yeah, hopefully he's, he is finished up, but that's another story. Uh, All right. So (laughs) Reinhold exposing his bias. We're going to start with, uh, we're going to start where we left off, which was Donald Trump's executive orders. Everybody knows how he felt about uh, Barack Obama's executive orders. We hated it. Again, going back to that legislative process, there, there is no such thing as co-equal branches of government. That is BS. The Congress was, is the superior branch because of two reasons. They were given the power of the purse, spending bills initiate in the House, and they were also given oversight roles in a way that the other two were not. And so they have an, an extra piece and so they're technically the more powerful branch. The co-equal branch was like a 20th century invention to tr- try and help 
uh, with court stacking, I think. Uh, but um, since entering office, now, now our problem with executive orders is that it's it's governing by diktat. It's it's not uh, it's legislating where they have the the president doesn't have that power to legislate. Um, but this power was basically taken by the by Washington from the very beginning. Uh, and Barack Obama, George Bush, then Barack Obama, and then now Donald Trump have all helped accelerate that process and increase the cult of the presidency. So since entering office, Donald Trump has signed 176 executive orders. In 2017, it was 55. In 2018, it was 37. In 2019, it was 45. And in 2020, so far, it's been 44. So going back to 2017, some of the first executive orders, uh, 13765, and now, this was the first EO signed by Trump on January 20th, and it sat on interim procedures in anticipation of the repeal of Obamacare. Ah, to have dreams. Uh, the order was designed to weaken regulations and procedures associated with the enforcement of the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. And in effect, in February 2017, it was reported to the, that the IRS would not require tax filers to state whether they have compliant insurance, allowing them to avoid the penalty. Talked about insurance in the last episode, so you can hear our opinions on all that. Um, same goes with immigration. And the next one, his next executive order was 13767, Border Security, Immigration, and Enforcement. And we're not going to talk about all 176. We're just going to give you some of the highlights. Uh, and like I've said, hey, raise your hand if you two want to mention anything or else. I'll just kind of keep rolling through these facts. Uh, this was the Border Security and Immigration Enforcement Improvements. The order was aimed at fulfilling one of uh, those campaign promises, enhancing border security by directing federal funding to construction of a wall along the Mexico-U.S. border. It instructed the Secretary of Homeland Security to prepare congressional budget requests for the wall and to, quote, end abuse of parole and asylum provisions that complicate the removal of undocumented immigrants. Now, part of the order called for hiring 5,000 more border patrol agents, building facilities to hold undocumented immigrants, and ending catch and release protocols. The next one was – go ahead, Reinhold. I saw your mouth move. You, were, you wanted to yeah, jump. Yeah, I was going to say something. Um, that was the, the one thing, too, the ending of the catch and release thing. Mm -hmm. That's the – so that's really where we get into the zero tolerance policy for – uh, asylum speakers, right? So that's people are talking about. Well, the cages came from Obama, but Obama was basically taking people who were considered to be threats. So about five to ten percent of the people seeking asylum, those people would be kind of caged up, and the rest of them would be given a court date to come back for their hearing, and then given temporary status to go in and and kind of function in the society while we do that. And that's what he stopped. So that's why the explosion of the people who were in those facilities expanded so great was that executive order where we stopped mm -hmm. that uh, function. EO, <clears throat> excuse me, EO 13768, enhancing public safety in the interior of the United States. The order outlined changes to a few immigration policies, but most notably it stripped federal grant money to so-called sanctuary cities in addition, the Secretary of Homeland Security was ordered to hire 10,000 more immigration officers, create a publicly available weekly list of crimes committed by undocumented immigrants, and review previous immigration policies. Uh, we talked about 
The problem with sanctuary cities is that it's totally at Donald Trump's discretion who he can and cannot and will not fund. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. There's supposed to be representation that works on the funding. It's not supposed to be on the whims of a single person. The entire point of the Senate basically was to cool the passions of the House where it would be easily electable, high, high turnover, lots of representatives. That's where the, the whims and passions of the moment work themselves out in the Congress. Then they're cooled by the Senate. And if it makes it through that, then the president would sign it. And the reason for these three steps in terms of lawmaking is that there weren't supposed to be so many laws. <laughs> and so yeah. that's why yeah. America was prosperous until there were so many laws, especially after the 60s. Right. Yeah. And you know, it gets to the point like ignorance of the law is no excuse. It's kind of hard if you have so many freaking laws. Pejoratively, the next one is called the Muslim ban, EO 13769. Nice. Protecting the, na- the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the United States, except for the extent to which it was blocked by various courts. It was in effect from January 2017, uh, 27, 2017 to March 6, when it was superseded by EO 13780. The EO Lord lowered the number of refugees admitted into the U.S. in 2017 to 50,000. It also suspended the U.S. refugees admission program for 120 days, suspended the entry of Syrian refugees indefinitely, directed some cabinet secretaries to suspend entry to those whose country do not meet adjudication standards under U.S. immigration law for 90 days, and included exceptions on a case-by-case basis. Excuse me. The DHS listed the countries as Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen, um, which they also went on to add Chad, which is a major uh, ally in the fight uh, in the war on terror. Uh, more than 700 travelers were detained, and up to 60,000 visas, visas were provisionally revoked. One of the stunning things about this past convention, I barely watched any of it. I watched half of the first night of the Republicans, because I, I was busy during the week of the Democrats, and so I didn't watch many of it. I watched, like, Kamala's speech and here and there and Obama. And then I tried to watch the RNC, and I was just like, I can't take the fear-mongering. I don't want to watch any of this infomercial stuff. But the, the coverage of it, when people say Donald Trump is a gaslighter, it's best illustrated by this past convention. Because there hasn't been a president in the modern era that has done more to limit illegal immigration. Okay. Not on favor, but I get it. Like you, you, we've said forever, enforce the law on the books, right? Whatever. He's done so much to limit legal immigration, especially through the pandemic. And then has the gall to just completely pretend that none of that happened the past four years and act like he had the first night he had a guy talking he had immigrants talking about how they've prospered under donald trump and donald trump's america and i'm just like are people buying this like are people really buying into the fact that this person just spent four years gutting legal immigration revoking naturalizations you know like every month there's a new way to ratchet down on immigration and then he comes out it's it's literally like donald trump doesn't care about immigrants or immigration donald trump wants to he thinks that if he does 
his pageantry in a certain way, it will neutralize the argument of the other side because, look, he had this guy speak at the convention. Look, he had that guy say that nice things about him. He literally thinks that we're that dumb enough to fall for it. Now, some of us in this country are, but then my, there are those of us who are not. friend here, you know. I have an immigrant friend, so why are you thinking that I'm against immigration? Yeah, like, <laughs> but the other thing too it's is tokenization. I mean, let's just call it what it is. Yeah, yeah. He highlights his own uh, point against him when he's like, "Look at how how these immigrants have prospered under in, in our America." I'm like, "Great. Why don't we let more people in so more people can prosper? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, why are you limiting that? I don't understand." So well, he's not limiting. He just wants legal immigration. So all the legal immigrants he brought. Into the see them they're legal right. Granted, the Except hoops got bigger. Harder to be legal. Oh. He's making it impossible to be legal. If you look but at the law, the immigration laws. Oh my god! But you they're can't legal. Do I know. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's an argument like yeah, like out here in Trump country. Um, this that's that's all I hear is like, well, we just want legal immigration. Yeah, we just want to follow the laws. I'm like, yeah, but so let's change those? the laws so that we get rid of this stuff. Oh no, we can't do that. Well, why not? Right. Yeah, that's. And and it's always like those. And and it really feels like weird because it is the people here, the like the bubble, the the uh, the not the bubble. What is it? The the border bubble that says that. And everyone else around around the borders actually actually have either have customers on one side or the other side of this, you know, the imaginary line called the border. You know, they're just, well, I just want to make it easy to go back and forth and have workers and customers and do everything go back and forth. This other crap is just annoying. On to the next one, EO13780, protecting the nation from foreign terrorist entry into the U.S. in March 6, 2017. This was Travel Ban 2.0, revoked and replaced the other one because of uh, court challenges. Uh, The order revised Trump's original immigration ban, which was hit with dozens of lawsuits and blocked by a federal judge in Washington state. As of the most recent revision in February 2020, travel to the U.S. is banned by all nations of North Korea and Syria, by the nationals of Iran except on student or exchange visitor visas, nationals of Libya and Yemen on immigrant, tourist, or business visas, uh, nationals of Eritrea, Kyrgyzstan, Myanmar, Nigeria, and Somalia on immigrant visas, by nationals of Sudan and Tanzania on diversity visas, and by some government officials of Venezuela. The Supreme Court upheld the most recent version of the travel ban on June 6, 2018. EO 13813, Promoting Healthcare Choice and Competition, October 12, 2017, known as the Trump Care Executive Order. It directed federal agencies to modify how patient protection and basically Obamacare is implemented. Uh, the order included a director directive to federal agencies to end rules forbidding employers from using HRAs to pay individual insurance premiums. It, aided, it aimed to widen the use of HRAs, which I believe are, are those health savings accounts. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody look that up real quick. Uh, it should have had that in my 23 pages of show notes. But uh, by the way, thanks to Sam Schultz for these great show notes uh our lead researcher here at we're libertarians and all this stuff is available in a pdf that you can go grab in the show notes so when you're talking to your friends and you're like yeah he has done all these executive orders look at this page eight um it sought to allow small businesses more leeway to group together when providing or purchasing insurance 
increase the availability and duration of short-term health insurance plans. In a separate announcement, Trump said he would end subsidies to health insurance companies that sell to low-income consumers through state health insurance marketplaces. Trump stated in a press conference that reporters no longer refer to Obamacare because it's gone. There is no such thing as Obamacare anymore. Okay. Uh, From 2018, EO 13841, affording Congress an opportunity to address family separation. Uh, The order restricts family separation but maintains many of the key components of the administration's immigration policy. The order instructs DHS to maintain custody of parents and children jointly. If you remember the border, child border separation uh, brouhaha. It also instructed the Justice Department to attempt to overturn the Flores Agreement, which limited the time for holding children and families uh, with children to 20 days, allowing children to be detained indefinitely. Donald Trump wanted children of immigrants to be detained indefinitely. (laughs) Okay. Um, We're going to let's highlight uh, 2020. Uh, EO 13925, preventing online censorship. Remember this. He was was signed to direct regulatory action at Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. The EO asserts that media companies that edit content apart from restricting posts that are violent, obscene, or harassing, as outlined in the Good Samaritan Clause, are then engaged in editorial conduct and may forfeit any safe harbor protection granted. Uh, uh, HRA, by the way, does not roll over at the end of the year. HSA does. So it is like a thank you, anonymous Facebook user. Um, doesn't that seem like a violation of property rights when the president starts telling uh, now he's amending code, but at the same time, like you're getting all up in their business, Donald Trump? Like what right does the the president have to mess with the property of Mark Zuckerberg? Seems like a contradiction. It's just more because it's it's not really all right. Uh, that one's complicated and can be expanded upon because it's a lot of the uh, social media platforms are being trying to say that they are just a platform or a service or something like that. But they are the way they have been and continue to ban or different habits on them probably they've been more of a publication than they have just an arbitrary just like no it's just our site so they just fall under weird different regulations at that point in go ahead trying to try to put something in place that doesn't exist so there (laughs) this idea that there's a publisher platform you know that sort of thing those differences were gotten rid of with 230 Mm-hmm. And he's trying to gut it and put it back in place right. so that he can then try to dictate what they can and can't do and this is, instead of giving them the protections to do that. So if, if what he puts into place were to, to actually fall and they were to get rid of 230, as it were, mm-hmm. um, basically most of the social media platforms we have right now would shut down. There would right. be no way they could function. All right. Correct. I am officially for ending Section 230. Uh, listen, I <laughs> I used to fear EMPs, but the Internet was a mistake. All of this was a mistake. Let's get rid of them. Um, Section 230 was carved in for user-generated content. So, you know, one of the problems with the early days of the Internet was comment sections. Who Who is responsible? Who is legally responsible? If somebody posts in a comment section or on AOL – uh, I believe this was passed in 96, part of the Telecom Act, um, 
you know, if I post a meme and it's a copyrighted picture, as almost all of them are, who bears the legal responsibility for that if the copyright owner wants to sue? Uh, And so what Section 230 did is it said you get protection from what people do on your platform in terms of some of this stuff. Um, And not just that. It it also protected them from saying, okay, we want to police those comments, so we want to delete the ones we find offensive – the minute you do that, you become an editor, you become a publisher, you, you be, you, you fell into the other category where then you were responsible for everything else that happened on that site. Right. So that's where that kind of came in. So, so if they were to get rid of it, then they would either have to let no, um, you know, no moderation of any kind happen, or they have to be responsible for everything that happens, uh, by a new user on that site one way or the other. And in both cases, I think most businesses would just say, we're not involved. We're not interested in it. Yeah. Here's the thing that they don't understand is the second that you revoke 230 and you're forcing censorship on these platforms, government is forcing censorship. Donald Trump and their crowd will be the first taken off. If you don't win the government, again, back to our principle of government, the, the number one principle is that, prohibition government action of any kind creates backlash and resentment and so if you are directing liberal social media outlets as a republican president what they can and can't do and you've forced their hand on copyright you're the first one gone not joe biden so it's it's again it's the problem with populists is that populists don't understand the government that they're talking about Populists don't understand how any of the law works. They don't care about the law. I don't care what the law says. Just get out there with your AR and protect this. I don't care what the law says. Those are fake scientists anyways. I can do what I want. The populist just does whatever feels right in the moment and has no real – like this is my argument with a lot of the Kenosha stuff. What's the long-term view, right? Stop arguing about the moment. Let's look at what led up to that. And what are the long-term consequences of how we act going forward? You know, and removing Section 230 feels good right now, but what are the long-term consequences in terms of free speech and censorship? If you do what they want to do, you probably make the problem worse if you really play it out. So, again, libertarians should not be siding with the greater censor, which is the government, to fight the lesser censor, which is a private business that will be out of business in 10 to 20 years Correct. because of creative destruction. Correct. I, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's why I said this, this issue is very complicated because, you know, it, I think the best thing the government probably could do is if they really feel like the size of political speech is being censored is one, just take a lot of that power that the those social media companies have and just... I'm sorry, barring your workers, your federal employees from just using, having to use wall garden social media networks. So like, you know, forcing them up and only using federated code. So if you're a government employee, you can't use Twitter for any uh, official messages. Get off. Move. So The EO, going back to some of the stuff, the, this, uh, the EO asserts that media companies that edit content apart from restricting posts that are violent, obscene, or harassing, as outlined in the, quote, Good Samaritan Clause, are then, quote, engaged in editorial conduct and may forfeit any safe harbor protection granted. 
I know I read that before. I'm sorry. The goal of the EO is to remove the Section 230 protections from such platforms, thus leaving them liable for content, which essentially cannibalizes them due to lawsuits. Uh, in June 2020, the Center for Democracy and Technology filed lawsuits seeking preliminary and permanent injunction from the EO from being enforced, asserting that the EO created a chilling effect on free speech since it puts, puts all hosts of third-party content on notice that content moderation decisions with which the government disagrees could produce such penalties and retributive actions, including stripping them of Section 230 protections. Um, you know, it, it basically, instead of the private business owner deciding what is or is not allowed on that property, the government is in charge. I don't see how that's a win for liberty in any way. Um, yeah, and listen, it's funny, those are the same people who are saying we should be protecting private property at all costs, yet they're wanting to strip the private property rights of these individuals that they disagree with. And they want to uh, violate the private property rights of people who say that they want masks to be worn in their stores. You have these, you know, people say private property until it affects their political view. Then, oh, we don't care about private property. You know what's so interesting about this specific topic is if you're consistent on something and everyone else isn't, you start you start to your position starts to shift. So, like. I was one of the first on the wall. When Alex Jones was banned, there wasn't any other libertarian voice going, this is a problem and we shouldn't be doing it. Because every liberty, I guarantee you, go back and listen to our episodes on this in 2017. Harry, you were alive. Property rights, property rights, they can do whatever they want, property rights. And I was like, yes, it is their property. But do you want them censoring political speech? Because once you open that door, it's only going to make it worse. They're only, you know, Zuckerberg's in, uh, under attack right now for Kenosha stuff. Like it never is. It's never ending, right? You don't want political speech being uh, decided. And that's where I lay all of the blame on the Trump, Russia, Hillary Clinton blaming big tech because Hillary Clinton couldn't accept that she lost her race. She had to blame big tech for it. And so then, you know, Senator Mark Warner was putting pressure on these companies to self-regulate or else he was going to do it, which we opposed at the time. And as users of these platforms, we have every right to speak up and say, we don't want you to censor us as a consumer of your product. I don't want you censoring my speech. You want Plandemic on Facebook because then it can be challenged by other people. When you send Plandemic over to Gab or whatever – you then lose the ability to have a dialogue, and that's why these third-party free speech platforms often don't work is because they just attract the people who are saying stuff that nobody wants to hear because it's conspiratorial or it's violent or aggressive or whatever. And so we were advocating for free speech principles to be upheld by big tech all along, right, mm -hmm. saying that free speech is an, is is – possibly a greater principle than property rights, you know, not through government action, but in terms of, you know, I'm a consumer and I can say what I want. I want free speech on this platform. And now the people who are making the property rights argument at me are making the free speech argument and property rights don't matter because Trump should regulate them because this is outrageous. And you go, 
wait a minute. How did I become, how did I go from, like, like I was being called a right-wing Nazi for defending Alex Jones, and now I'm, like, a left-wing Salon.com writer because you people have decided that you want to use the government to censor. It's so odd how things have shift, like, shift so quickly, you know, if you just stick to one location. So I don't get it. Um, moving on, uh, let's talk about DACA. Let's revisit uh, some of that real quick um, before we go on to foreign policy. Uh, DACA. In June, the Supreme Court blocked the Trump administration's move to end DACA, the, the, uh, which is basically uh, kids who uh, were born. Explain DACA, Reinhold. So basically... The it uh, gave protections to people who were born here by illegal immigrants. So the the idea was if we just start deporting all the illegal immigrants, we're going to report their kids as well. So uh, the notion was that these these people were born here, therefore they're Americans. People are trying to argue that they're not because they were by illegal parents, which isn't the case. This is not the law, but they were still wanting to get to to deport the the children of of the illegal immigrants who had no say in the matter on where they were born or why they were here and trying to send them back to a country they've never never been in to say that that's their home was was unconscionable so they put in protections Mm -hmm. to say we can't deport those people um currently until we figure out a better solution or a, a or legislate this in some way, and, and it just never get got done. So it's still in place, and that's what they're arguing about now is the fact that it still exists, and it was technically unconstitutional to implement DACA because it was an executive order overriding the the you know what Congress had the power to to dictate. Um, but now we're trying to get rid of it using executive order, which is again you know it, it's all a big mess Crazy. on that. It's yeah, that's the basics yeah. of it, I guess. Yeah, and and, and it's, it was sad to like watch people like uh, them talk about trying to get rid of these dreamers. And the 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 idea of sending someone to a country or a place that they've never been before, or even sometimes even does don't even speak the language or even know the culture. It's just no, no. We and considering the idea, it's like well, you've invested in these kids. By educating them and feeding, and lots of time feeding them, you already invested your your theft money, your tax money into these kids. Why would you send them away? You've invested so much. Plus, they're actually stay here. Yeah, paying back more in taxes mm-hmm. because they're so prosperous and bringing so much money into the economy. You know, yeah. if we were to get rid of the dreamers, I guess there was like eight hundred billion dollars would be pulled out of the economy. Right. So they're putting more back than we ever invested them in in. in uh, taxes for schooling mm-hmm. and all that stuff, right. which is why they why people advocate doing that, whether mm-hmm. we agree with it or not. I mean, that's the the thought processes. Um, so why would you want to get rid of those people who who are making up a, a large section of your economy? So thank you for covering. I had to get a drink of water and pick my nose. <laughs> uh, I was like, my nose was itching so bad, and I wasn't going to do it on camera. I was like, uh, I could go. Uh, uh, in June 2012, the Obama administration creates DACA. Uh, Trump kicked off his campaign taking aim at DACA, vowing to, quote, 
immediately terminate President Obama's illegal executive order on immigration immediately. In the, his presidential announcement speech on June 16th, 2015, and again during an August 31st rally in Arizona. On September 5th, 2017, Trump officially ordered an end to DACA, giving Congress six months to pass a bill to save the policy. As part of the phase-out, the administration planned to adjudicate on a case-by-case basis applications filed by September 5th and reject any new request filed after that date. Individuals who already had DACA protection it was expiring march 5th 2018 and would be able to apply for renewal by october 5th 2017 now the stalemate over daca came to a head in january 2018 when a bipartisan group of senators presented a compromise immigration deal that would protect daca participants as part of the country's annual budget legislation but trump rejected the package and the government shut down for the longest period in history why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? Trump is reported saying during a June 11th, <laughs> January 11th meeting to strike a deal for DACA recipients. Trump's initial 2017 move to end the policy was met with legal challenges from federal lower court judges ruling against the Trump administration on three occasions, which led to Trump to announce his appeal to the Supreme Court on January 16, 2018. In a June decision, the Supreme Court maintained the status quo. The Trump administration must now either give up on DACA or provide a lower court with a more robust robust justification for ending the program. We do not decide whether DACA or its recession are sound policies, Judge Roberts wrote. The wisdom of those decisions is none of our concern. Here we address only whether the administration complied with the procedural requirements in the law that insist on a reasonable explanation for its at. Uh, now, that is um, a shield for those undocumented immigrants brought to the U.S. So um, that is what is going on. Yep. Now, let's talk about foreign policy. Um, I know Reinhold's going to disagree with this, but in terms of all of Donald Trump's official policies, this is probably where he's the best. I don't know if Donald Trump is the best on this stuff because he's too incompetent to start a war because he certainly would if he could or if he genuinely believes what he says, that he doesn't want to start new wars. But then again, does he believe anything? I don't think so. But uh, I think a lot of this may just be – a lot of his foreign policy record is – it's not as bad as Joe Biden's. But is the era of interventionism over? Harry, you're shaking your head. Why not? No, I'm, I'm in your camp of, I think he just doesn't know how. <laughs> he tried. He tried the best as he could to try to get a war with Iran. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Iran didn't bite. Right. <laughs> because Iran is the felt- one that didn't bite on that one, not the United States. Right, yeah. Right. It's just he probably didn't fill out the correct form. So Iran knew they were supposed to bite. So they knew they would get more money and more. And the CIA would give them more armament, allegedly, you know, to fight. Or maybe he didn't send enough ammo to Iran, allegedly. So they could fight back. Who knows? I, somewhere there was a form not filled out as an Illuminati meeting. So, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's too incompetent. Okay, start one. So let's start going through his record. Let's start with North Korea. Trump has met with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un twice in Hanoi in February 2019 in the DMZ last summer. 
Trump claimed his bold new diplomacy could result in tremendous things for U.S.-North Korean relations. Trump's relations have yet to produce any concessions that would put North Korea on a path to denuclearization. Kim has continued to test short-range missiles and other weapons. Um, any thoughts on North Korea? Yeah, he, Trump was trying to say he deserved the Nobel Peace Prize for what he did in Korea, and he has actually done absolutely nothing in Korea. Nothing has been accomplished. He's probably given Kim Jong-un more time to build nuclear weapons, which is not necessarily a a win for liberty, having a dictator with nuclear weapons. But uh, He got them to talk to, like, they were going to reconcile Korea, North Korea and South Korea were going to come back together again. And then North Korea pretty much shot that in the foot, right? I mean, it's they, they're saying things to keep themselves going, to keep themselves getting interest from these foreign uh, dictation, not dictators, foreign entities, and uh, to keep themselves just afloat. Mm-hmm. And they're just passing the ball down the line, and they're never accomplishing anything. It's, this is the way it's going to be until people start changing the way we deal with that situation. Right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. The, Good point, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say the easiest way to deal with the North Korea situation is just open up a bunch of uh, Korean barbecue shops right on the border and just price of admission, just drop your guns here. That's right. That's me. <laughs> uh, quote, not ending the wars is uh, one thing that he is often accredited for or not. Uh, throughout his time as president, Trump escalated U.S. military involvement in foreign conflicts. Uh, he did it in Somalia. Um, a surge in American airstrikes over the last four months of 2018 pushed the annual death toll of suspected Shabab fighters in Somalia to the third record high in three years. In 2018, strikes killed 326 people in 47 disclosed acts, according to the Defense Department. During January and February of 2019, the U.S. Africa Command reported killing 225 people in 24 strikes in Somalia. Africa Command maintains that its death toll includes only Shabab militants, even though the group claims regularly that civilians were also killed. A March 2016 report by Amnesty International found that at least 14 civilians were killed in just five of more than 70 airstrikes the U.S. carried out in Somalia since early 2017. The U.S. military disputes the report, saying none of those strikes resulted in any civilian casualties. The Trump administration has more than doubled the pace of strikes from the Obama years, ordering 35 strikes in 2017 and 45 in 2018. Soon after taking office, Trump declared parts of Somalia areas active hostility uh, of active hostilities, giving the military greater latitude to carry out strikes. This is just one highlighted example of his drone usage. Republicans often like to point out that Barack Obama, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, was the drone warrior, and Trump has almost doubled the drone strikes. Uh, And so from a non-interventionist point of view, why are drone strikes problematic? Let me put on my John Stossel hat, Reinhold and Harry. When you use drones to attack foreign adversaries that want to do harm to the United States, isn't that much cleaner than using fighter jets or ground troops. Why are drone strikes a problem? The drone strikes are the problem because you're, it still bombs indiscriminately. Um, you may see one target that you have that, that they see 
think someone's there, but they bomb it. The other problem is the double tap drone strike. It's when the drone strike drones, people rush in to help, and then you drone it and then you strike it again. Uh, and that's all people know about drones. Is the, the U.S. just bombs you, you know, things you don't see in the sky just come down and just bombs you. Yeah, I don't know if it's any better or worse than regular bombing, but it's still bombing. And, and one of the stats that I don't think was included in that is the fact that uh, last year the United States killed more civilians in Afghanistan than the Taliban did yep. because we're just bombing. You know, we're not taking the care to watch what we're bombing and making sure that. So let's say you're going to go and target a certain individual or a certain group of people, you know, they're not making sure with people on the ground and with good intelligence, which we know that this president doesn't really care about intelligence, um, his briefings or anything. I'm else. the most intelligent. I don't know what you're saying. I have the best words. But, but then now we're now we're killing even more civilians than the Taliban who are supposed to be fighting because they're killing civilians. I mean, that's uh, just crazy to me. It, it, and one thing that's come clear in all of these discussions of all of these topics is that all the things that we we were upset about Obama on and even Trump was upset about Obama on, he's done bigger. He's gone huge. It's better. Right? It, it's the thing. He's bigger and better. So he's he's put more people in, 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 in ten, detention camps. He's deported more people. He's killed more people through bombing. Mm-hmm. He's, you know... He's doing all of the. He's, he's um, fighting more tariff wars. I mean, when we talk about foreign policy, you know, we end up talking about wars. But foreign policy is more than just wars, too. It's how you're interacting. Sanctions, with sanctions, and, tr- trade deals, thing. Yeah, right. If you take a look at what happened here, we've got Iran, who he wanted to bomb into oblivion because they were interfering with um, shipping trade routes, right? Uh, supposedly, uh, they Iran uh, put placed some bombs on a, a, a ship that wasn't even a United States ship, um, and put some holes in it and damaged some property and caused some issues there. Trump wants to bomb them into oblivion over it, but Russia is putting bounties on the heads of American soldiers, and he goes, "Eh, whatever." Yeah, no, like that. The the reality is Donald Trump has no principles. Like so, to call Donald Trump a non-interventionist is like calling Donald Trump a constitutionalist, or calling Donald Trump a moralist, or calling Donald Trump ethical, or calling Donald Trump a low tax cutter. Like he doesn't believe anything, and so you with a person like that who is largely transactional, you get some wins. But you also get some losses, you know, and he, he's my pushback on the idea that he is a non-interventionist. It's just not the case. Like if, if Donald Trump were presented with the opportunity to go to war and he felt that it was in his interest, he would absolutely do it. Is is he he just doesn't feel that it is in his interest and he doesn't feel that it is. You know, I mean, he's he's willing to drop the mother of all bombs, the Moabs. He's willing to assassinate Soleimani. He's willing to flirt with the line of, you know, war. He's just he, he, he is less interventionist. He does not practice the Wilsonian view of of war and intervention that George W. Bush practiced. And so that is a positive, right? Like I. 
I'm, I'm going to give credit but where credit also, is due, but he's not. You also know that he would. He's yeah. not. He's not what we would like him to be, or how libertarians would practice foreign policy. Right. We also know that even though the interventionists and the Wilsonians and the and Bush, they they intervened in other countries in a way like the neocons. You know, they, they're trying to create peace throughout the world through military might and the American superiority and blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. But that's at least a principle or a, a, you know, a thought process. It's not, well, my polls are lagging and these guys did something I didn't like. So I'm just going to discriminately bomb them today without thinking about the consequences of what he's doing, without thinking about the, the impact it will have the, you know, or even trying to make the case for it. He just says, ah, that's what I want to do. Today. Yeah, no, it's he's that's- very, 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 very comfortable with the ice, I, mindset of militarization. He has the domestic policy of John McCain's foreign policy, <laughs> right? Like he, he treats American citizens like John McCain treated Syrians, right? So it's if he had the opportunity to treat other nations like he wants to treat leftists, he would. You know, and that's where, where I would warn my fellow libertarians, uh, don't treat your fellow citizens like John McCain treated Iraqis. Um, now, Rand Paul went to bat and gave a speech for him at the RNC this week, and uh, he said, I flew with him to Dover Air Force Base to honor two soldiers whose remains were coming home from Afghanistan. I will never forget that evening. I can tell you the president not only felt the pain of these families, but the president is committed to ending this war. He continues, President Trump is the first president in a generation to seek to end war rather than start one. He intends to end the war in Afghanistan. He is bringing our men and women home. He announced today before the show, I read that he was bringing a third of U.S. troops home from Iraq, 3,500 troops. Um, great. Iraq? I thought we were out of Iraq. I know. I thought uh, I thought we were too, but... Uh, I missed that memo then, right? Yeah, so... Yeah. We... And here's where I go back to, like... Barack Obama had the inclination to end war too. He did not start any major wars, but are the people who are saying we should single issue voters on foreign policy of which a lot of the Ron Paul crowd is from will tell you that Donald Trump is the only logical choice because he never started any major wars. Neither did Barack Obama and Joe Biden Well, not either. Like the mistake of Iraq is so permanently baked into the American populace that it will be generations before they ever support any kind of war like that, which is why the warfare state has settled on things like drones and asymmetrical warfare. And we're going to we're going to go fight in Syria. And but we're not going to have our hands on it. We're going to fund other groups. That's the same kind of foreign policy as Ronald Reagan, as Bill Clinton as Barack Obama. Has he done it to a lesser degree? Absolutely. But he's done the same sorts of asymmetrical light warfare that every other president has done, except George W. Bush, who was, you know, Mr. Kill a Million Iraqis because of bullshit propaganda. Uh, So (laughs) also believe, too, if if we look at the numbers and and I, um, I may be wrong on this, but is my understanding that 
we're say let's say he brings home a third of the people that are in Afghanistan. That's still more than there were there when he took office. Yeah, he put more people in Afghanistan, so it's, he's bringing home people that he sent there. Not you know that that's the that's the thing is he's trying to to went to to claim victory or all this stuff on things that has been manipulated to make it look a certain way, but the reality of it is different. As Matthew Meyer, uh, great comments, he added 14,000 troops to the Middle East in 2019. Trump puts himself first, not the country, and says his foreign policy is worse than Biden's. Trump's foreign policy is losing a tariff war, causing farm bankruptcies to rise, and putting America manufacturing into a recession. Great points. Great points, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Um, now, and it, just because Rand Paul is willing to go out and give a speech, it doesn't mean that you should give Trump a pass. I guess is what we're saying. So, you know, there are there are definite wins towards a non-interventionist policy here, which is why Rand Paul is willing to give that speech. But Rand Paul, going back to our earlier discussion about Kenosha and some of the things we we're talking about there, understands the calculation of. I'll do this. I'll say I'll do these things because then I have more of a voice with Trump. He he has he can he, he calls out Trump when Trump's wrong on things like civil liberties or foreign policy issues and is a counterbalance to Lindsey Graham, who has never met a war he uh, disliked. Um, now, in in his speech, Paul, Paul railed against Biden for supporting this war. But when uh, in. But when Congress, in a rare act of bipartisanship, passed a resolution stopping the president and engaging any further military action against Iran without congressional approval, Trump vetoed it. So when Congress, just this year, said you're not allowed to go to war with Iran, Trump vetoed it, which is not necessarily the act of a non-interventionist person who's looking for peace. He says, I have the war powers. You're going to let me keep the war powers. I'm not giving this up. So... It has so many things where Donald Trump will do good things. You have to take it with such a big, giant grain of salt because he's so unpredictable that he will flip-flop at any moment if it benefits him. So some of these militaristic impulses are are not evidence of a non-interventionist. They're evidence of a person who we who just feels that domestic foreign policy or domestic policy specifically igniting culture wars is much more beneficial to his reelection. He wanted, he felt if it hadn't been for impeachment and his getting bogged down and trying to defend himself, Oh, he probably felt that a war would have been in his interest to gaining popularity and winning the election, which is why he did the Soleimani stuff he did. So I don't give him, he gets partial credit. (laughs) <laughs> in terms of his record. Um, Backs into some good things. Yeah. Basically. So at, at the end of his first term, he has not ended any wars and has either escalated certain conflicts or risked escalation of military engagement with countries like Iran when he approved the drone strike of the Iranian general Qasem Soleimani. The Trump administration is, in reality, risking, resisting excuse me, any and all attempts by Congress to rescind the authorization for use of military force that previously gave George W. Bush permission to wage war. In the final moments, in the final months of the Obama presidency, approximately 198,000 active duty U.S. military personnel were deployed overseas, according to the Pentagon's Defense Manpower Data Center. 
By comparison, the most recent figure for the Trump administration is 171,000 active duty troops. So he has decreased troop levels by about 25,000. Not to zero, as a libertarian president would fight for. Um, any final thoughts on his foreign policy before we move on? Okay, let's talk about Donald Trump's 50-point plan for his second term. Uh, now, none of these points were expanded upon in the press release, released August 23rd, 2020. But let's run through what he promises to do. Jobs. He's going to create 10 million new jobs in 10 months. How many times have we been told by Republicans that presidents don't create jobs? Create 1 million new small businesses. Cut taxes to boost take-home pay and keep jobs in America. Enact fair trade deals that protect American jobs. Quote, made in America tax credits. Expand opportunity zones, which I believe is a mix of ending regulations and um, tax incentives in certain places. Continue deregulatory agenda for energy independence. So we're going to be energy independent by deregulating that industry. He is going to eradicate COVID-19. He, he is going to develop a vaccine by the end of 2020. We will return to normal in 2021. Make all critical medicines and supplies for healthcare workers in the United States. And refill stockpiles and prepare for future pandemics. Uh, he wants to end our reliance on China. Bring back one million manufacturing jobs from China. Tax credits for companies that bring back jobs from China. He is going to allow 100% expensing deductions for essential industries like pharmaceuticals and robotics who bring back their manufacturing to the U.S. No federal contracts for companies who outsource to China and hold China fully accountable for allowing the virus to spread around the world. Healthcare. Cut prescription drug prices. No, no, that's not Joe Biden's platform plank. That's the Republican presidential nominee's platform plank. He's going to tell private companies what they can charge or not charge, which is an intervention in the marketplace. Uh, put patients and doctors back in charge of our health care system. Lower health care insurance premiums, another intervention, and surprise billing. Cover all pre-existing conditions. Protect Social Security and Medicare and protect our veterans and provide world-class health care and services. Now, as far as I know, he's been in charge of the, the VA for four years. He could have done something about that. Um, protecting Social Security and Medicare, it boggles the mind that the largest piece of our federal budget and deficits come from Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, and he's not going to touch it. So... Take that for what it's worth. Education. He's going to provide school choice to every child in America and teach American exceptionalism. <sighs> okay. Um, now, I have a different version of American exceptionalism than Donald Trump. Okay, so sort of like teaching religion in schools. It's almost exactly like teaching a religion in schools. Mike Pence took a verse from Hebrews took out Jesus and put in the flag in his convention speech, if you haven't seen that. Uh, so my version of American exceptionalism is that this country is exceptional in the world stage because 
it was a marked shift towards the individual being in charge of their own lives away from state and central centrally planned control over their lives. So America is exceptional because we have we value free market, spontaneous order and many libertarian values that you are free to live your life as you see fit as long as you don't hurt other people, steal their stuff. That was the 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 purpose of setting up the system in the way that the system was originally founded. And it was set up to frustrate authoritarians who wish to control the markets and personal lives. Obviously, that has all been eroded through, uh, through the last 250 years. But that's what makes American uh, exceptional. In my view, Donald Trump's view of American exceptionalism is Donald Trump. Somebody who is loud and confident and rich with gold plating, Las Vegas... Lots of money, wealthy, can buy a lot of things, has the most guns, strongest-willed person, and then just flat-out pure American propaganda with waving the flag and and never saying anything bad about uh, his version of America, but denying that other people with different experiences than him, let's be honest, white, rich, and militaristic. That is Donald Trump's view of American exceptionalism, in my opinion. Am I wrong? You are not wrong. Okay. My view of exceptionalism is a little different, and it's being able to point out that Donald Trump is all these things and not be considered anti-American for doing so. Yeah. To be able to disagree with our government and and seek for redress of our issues through the government process right that's where we have exceptionalism when you have his view of exceptionalism is basically ostracizing anybody who speaks out against what is considered the government or or the society or whatever you either follow these rules or you, and you do these things and you support the flag and you be patriotic and you support any war that we want to go to because it's all in our best interest or you're a degenerate that's uh, anti-American, you're a commie, you should be hung out to dry. I saw one libertarian podcaster that I'm friendly with say Rittenhouse didn't kill any people, he just killed communists. Yeah. That's the mindset of Donald Trump and where he's leading the nation, and that's just an unconscionable, disqualifying statement, to be honest. It's the dehumanization of anybody you disagree with. Yeah, uh, and providing – fascism. It's the path to fascism. It totally is. Uh, the provide school choice to every child in America. That's not the federal government's job. Drain the swamp. Pass congressional term limits. Now, these were all points from this, – this is redo, stuff he didn't get done – tried to do, and then reverse course on, as you heard in the last episode. Pass congressional term limits, end bureaucratic government bullying of U.S. citizens and small businesses, expose Washington's money trail and delegate powers, delegate powers back to peoples and states, drain the globalist swamp by taking in international organizations that hurt American citizens. He tried to seize, like, COVID illustrates that he's full of shit. Like, Larry Hogan had to hide and protect 
his masks and PPE from the federal government so they wouldn't come and seize them. The governor of Maryland literally had to have armed guards around his PPE because the federal government was trying to steal it to send it to other places or or keep it for themselves. Uh, Donald Trump wants to defend our police, fully fund and hire more police and law officers, increase criminal penalties for assaults on law enforcement officers, prosecute drive-by shootings as acts of domestic terrorism, bring violent extremist groups like Antifa to justice, end cashless bail, and keep dangerous criminals locked up until trial. I can't tell you how all how much I disagree with all of that, uh, which is basically illustrated in why Joe Biden was wrong on our episode on Joe Biden's record, if you want more expounding on that. But let me take on the domestic terrorism and bringing Antifa to justice and the problem is that is a complete rejection of classical liberalism and the, the principles of the American founding, which, again, illustrates he does not understand American exceptionalism. If you are in a riot, if you are in downtown Kenosha two nights ago, and you were standing there and doing nothing, you are not a criminal. When you hit somebody, break someone's stuff... Or, you know, I mean, committing fraud. Your beliefs are fraud. But the, you were not a criminal by association or holding an ideology. What Donald Trump is basically saying is I want to take the, the uh, indefinite detention of innocence, the denial of due process, the, the just flat-out murdering of Muslims. He wants to import that to America and bring, again, the domestic policy is going to be the foreign policy of John McCain. You, remember when we all got really outraged at the Fusion Center in Missouri in like 2010 that labeled Ron Paul, yep. libertarians, don't tread on me flags. Mm-hmm. Those people were domestic terrorists and needed to be watched. Remember when the Obama administration said we were domestic terrorists and and everybody needs to be paid attention to in the libertarian tea parties? Like, you you don't, you have, the, the American legal system does not, it assumes you're innocent until it can pr- prove you guilty. But this mindset is that if you are there, you are guilty by association and that you have to prove your innocence. It's a complete flip of the American legal system. And on the policing stuff, the the law in America is already greatly tilted towards the police officer in an altercation. All a police officer has to do is say, I feared for my life. And they have the ability to met out the death penalty for anybody that is committing any kind of crime or even if it's a traffic stop that could be the death penalty if the cop just says he feared for his life and there are crowds that will go along with that (laughs) and think that it's okay for somebody to be murdered there are literally libertarians saying it's okay for two people to be murdered by vigilantes because of guilt by association. We have no idea if the people that were killed by Kyle Rittenhouse committed any sort of crime whatsoever. Right. And so how do you have a functioning society where it's just okay to kill whoever you don't like? That is barbarism. That is not the American system. That is not America. That is not classical liberalism. That is not libertarianism. That's barbarism. 
It's not human. It's inhuman. And so it's just another form. It's, it's, it's the same mentality on the right that socialists, the far socialists, will, will produce. And I, I cannot disagree with it enough. And I'm not going to call out specific people because I'm not trying to beef, but I just think that that is an insane, inappropriate, dangerous way of thinking that rejects everything this country stands for. How many decades have libertarians tried to point out all the people who are in jail right now on trumped up charges, lies by the, by the police, police planting evidence, police uh, planting guns. To, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's, they carry around a, a burner gun just for that purpose. So if there's a shooting they throw a gun in there, oh, he had a gun. How many decades have we been trying to call this information out? And now we're just going to throw it all away because we want to get the commies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand. Drop good. Don't drop good. It, it's one thing for private citizens to to have that mentality. It's a whole nother thing for the weight of the most powerful government on earth to engage in that kind of behavior. You don't want that. <laughs> like that literally, if I have a disagreement with Donald Trump as a libertarian podcaster, am I a domestic terrorist? You know, it's just it's. It, it, a lot of what's going on with the scaremongering by the Trump campaign and the and the, the Repu- Republicans reminds me so much of the 2003 lead up to war, but we're doing it to American citizens, and it's really frightening and it's really problematic, and it's not going to end well if adults don't start stepping up and saying this this we're not going to allow this in America. Um. Next point, end illegal immigration and protect American workers. Block illegal immigrants from becoming eligible for taxpayer-funded welfare. Bill Clinton already passed that in 1994, I believe, 96. Uh, block, block them from becoming eligible for health care and free college tuition. Mandatory deportation for non-citizen gang members. Uh, dismantle human trafficking networks. In sanctuary cities to restore our neighborhoods and protect our families. Prohibit American companies from replacing the United States citizens with lower cost foreign workers. Require new immigrants to be able to support themselves financially. Which is okay. Uh, Innovate for the future. Launch Space Force. Establish permanent manned presence on the moon and send the first manned mission to Mars. Like we can afford that shit. That's like there's somebody in my credit card. He's got he's got a U.S. black card, right? I live in a very uh, I don't live in a poor apartment complex and I don't live in a rich apartment complex. And there's a neighbor that has a Bentley. You live in an apartment complex, dude. Like that's that's the kind of mentality. Build the world's greatest infrastructure system. Win the race to 5G and establish national high speed wireless Internet. Oh, yeah. Let's put the government in charge of the Internet. That sounds like a great idea, especially when they're spying on all of us and they want to label people as domestic terrorists. Let's give them the uh, ability to manage our wireless network and our Internet. Good idea. If you have a problem, you'll get great service, just like, you know, if you go to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles and you want to get right. service or the IRS and you want to get something taken care of. That's that's the prompt care that the government will give you. Imagine the Internet goes out and you have to call the government to fix it. You think you'll yearn for the days that AT&T was in charge of your shit. Uh, Partner with other nations to clean up our planet's oceans. Clean, continue to lead the world in access to the cleanest drinking water and cleanest air. 
American first foreign policy. Stop endless wars and bring our troops home. Get allies to pay their fair share. Maintain and expand America's unrivaled military strength. Wipe out global terrorists who threaten to harm Americans. Build a great cybersecurity system and missile defense system. Okay. Uh, defend American values. Continue nominating constitutional Supreme Court and lower court judges. How'd that work out for you with Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Roberts? <laughs> Protect unborn life through every means available. When somebody says, by any means necessary, it really starts to concern me. Defend the freedoms of religious believers and organizations. Support the exercise of Second Amendment rights. Um, so some of that we agree with, some we don't. Um, as, yeah, Matthew points out a contradiction. Stop wars and build and expand military strength. Uh, and these aren't policies. They're vague goals. How are we going to do that? How are we going to pay for it? How's that going to work? Why didn't you do it the last three years? It doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, so Jacob's, Jacob's exactly right. These all seem like ideas that can be fleshed out in the free market, there's a few good ideas presented that would be best done by a free market, and you are totally right. Um, you know, they're, they're, we're not going to get into it, and we don't have time because I don't want to spend my whole life talking about the presidential election. But, you know, there's the COVID response. There's the stimulus package that was passed that uh, basically put $12 trillion into the American economy, six from a, a stimulus package and six from the Fed, reduced spending. Spending's gone up every single year. Um, there's so many different things uh, in a president's record of any type uh, that, uh, you know, are problematic. He wants to protect American workers with, with tariffs, and it just makes people have to pay more for goods and services. All right. right I, and with the, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, like, and COVID has given a good – it's a good obfuscational smokescreen of probably what would happen to manufacturing and the Midwest this this summer, you know, with those tariffs in place. Sorry. All right. Well, we have uh, so for our patrons, we do a monthly ish show called uh, Build the Wall, where we get everybody together on the network. We got like 30, 40 people to work on the network. And uh, today at noon in 10 minutes, we're going to have uh, one of those episodes. Then we put it up. Our $100 a month patrons get to participate. $25 patrons get to listen. And it's just a way for you to know what your Patreon money is being used for and how, as well as get to talk to us directly and give feedback and uh, get to know some of the other people involved in the We Are Libertarians network. You can sign up on Patreon and get that now. That's uh, But I, I never in my wildest imagination thought that we'd need from 9 to noon to do today's show, but here we are. So um, let's go around the horn. So my point in saying that is be brief. Uh, final thoughts, Reinhold. Um, final thoughts is um, I think – we have a horrible choice in front of us if we follow the two-party um, model that we have to choose between either Biden or Trump, and I reject that. I think we have another option we can choose, and we should choose that one. Go, I, Joe Jorgensen. I, I agree. Like there, <laughs> when if you are a principled person that believes in something, there's no reason that you can look at Donald Trump's record or behavior and vote for Donald Trump in good conscience. There's no way to look at 
Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's record and vote for them in good conscience if you believe in libertarian – if you believe that it's going to work. Register a protest vote. People often don't have the courage to make change, but once you once you make that change and you start smashing that different button, mm-hmm. I'm under no illusions that the Libertarian Party is going to get elected president or that they're going to impact much. In fact, I have a lot of evidence that it doesn't. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can look myself in the mirror knowing that I didn't vote for these two people. Like it, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I can register and show up in the vote totals as a person who says, I don't buy into your system. I don't buy into the death cult of Republicans and Democrats. Uh, so I appreciate that that option exists. Uh, and it gives me an opportunity to exercise my First Amendment rights. Those are my final thoughts. Harry, yours? Oh, yeah. Uh, what I like is Sam's, the, the, the show notes for the show for what Sam did. This is a great PDF. So when someone goes, when you're trying to, when you're at work, most of the time this happens to me when I try to, you know, not defending Trump, but just like, hey, we're going to talk bad about him. Let's actually use his record. He's actually a lot of bad things we can happen. And Sam's notes are a great, you know, just a, not really like a stick, just more of a, just a billboard. Like, hey, do you really like this guy? Or are you going to say this thing like here? Let's actually talk this t- together and really, you know, hash out and look at facts. Uh, but uh, the other thing I want to go to is the whole uh, North Korea, uh, China situation. I really feel that the main thing that what North Korea was doing is it was trying to build, rebuild that relationship they had with China. China uh, was, you know, was kind of was kind of the relationship between China and North Korea was actually breaking down a little bit on the the back end and actually was kind of uh, North Korea needed China's uh, economic might to buy more stuff and allow China to to buy more stuff from North Korea to help them out uh, so the one way to get to threaten them is like hey we could be doing this instead so that's why I feel it that's what mostly that case is uh, yeah I think I've just been researching way too much stuff with China so that's where my head, my head has been for the last week. Yeah, do that bonus episode. Come on, man. Well, I would have did it. I just got upset, but I've got like a massive. I got got a I got a. I took a great team, so I've got Escalja and um, Vincent Cooper from the Discord. We've put together some notes about trying to do an episode on China um, and what's going on, basically, on the region, not just China in general, but what China's doing in the region. So, like, what China's in India, Vietnam, Thailand, Australia. Um, Japan, yeah, Russia, yeah. So it's yeah, it's yeah. China's poking a lot of things. So that's what she said. All right, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate everybody uh, for uh, dropping in. And hey, the most powerful thing you can do to help spread the word is share it. Share it with your friends, your family. Say this is a different take than anything anybody else is saying out there. There's tons of facts in here. Um, I recognize that sharing a two and a half hour episode with your friends and family is a lot. So we are cutting out the video and posting on YouTube the chunks. There's also um, markers in the audio now. So you can go and and, uh, fast forward that. And so if if you heard anything and you're just like, man, I really need that. So uh, we we have uh, all that stuff posted at the website and on our YouTube channel and you can, and on Instagram TV and you can go and grab the chunks of this stuff. Take out all the stuff that's not relevant, like our chit chat and 
data references and like I want them to hear this about what he's going to do, but I don't want them to hear this about the Rittenhouse stuff. We've got it all chunked out for you on the YouTube channel. So please spread the word, share the word about We Are Libertarians. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you again next week.